entering the Freedom Hut. CNN slapped down by the CIA for fake news. We will talk about that and then also the uh, change in the lineup at the White House. Bolton is out as National Security Advisor. Who could replace him and was this the right move? And did he fire or did he resign? We got that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Yeah, I've seen that reporting. Uh, the reporting is materially inaccurate. And you should know, as the former CIA director, I don't talk about things like this very often. It is only the occasions when there's something that I think puts uh, people at risk or the reporting is so egregious as to create enormous risk to the United States of America that I even comment in the way that I just did. And I won't say anything more about it. I know the CIA put out a statement. Uh, suffice to say that the, the, the reporting there is factually wrong. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Another bad week for CNN. I, I don't know how much... How much more can they get away with uh, destroying or, or just completely abandoning all credibility before everyone kind of figures out that that place has lost its mind? I wonder. I wonder what it's going to take for CNN's audience to say, whoa, hey, can you guys maybe act like a news organization? Could we just try that for a while instead of what we've got, which is the, uh, the Clinton News Network now switched over to the anti-Trump News Network? Wouldn't that be better for all involved? Wouldn't that just make more sense? But, you know, nope. People still think that CNN somehow is a journalistic enterprise. Here's what happened. In case, in case you know, we need to just do a quick, a quick overview of this. So CNN's uh, journalist slash former Obama State Department appointee, Jim Shuto, actually went to my high school. And uh, so there's that. Jim Shuto had this report about how Trump blew the uh, the lid off a, a an intelligence source that was very close to Putin, and oh my gosh, Trump is so reckless. Trump is such a bad guy. He told the Russians about this, and it ties into some of the the biggest stuff that they all love over at CNN. Trump is basically the worst ever. And he's endangering national security, and you throw Russia in there, and bam, you got a CNN story. Here's the problem with it. It turns out it looks like it's uh, a big uh, crap pile. Nonsense. That's what it looks like. That's what the New York Times reporting seems to indicate as well. In fact, New York Times has come out and said that the likely scenario here is that journalists who got information from Obama officials who were uh, blabbity blab blabbing about this really high level Russian source because they wanted to tell the American people that they had a high level Russian source who claimed to know from Putin personally that he wanted Trump to win and that he ordered, you know, did you order the code red? Did Putin order the Russia uh, election intrusion. But so these national security officials, and I could guess who some of them were, 
decided to go and blab to a bunch of journos who then were printing all this stuff because it was anti-Trump. And it looks like that, if anything, at least turned attention toward this possible source, this individual. And now you got NBC News sending a news correct to this guy's house, whether it's the right guy or not, or he's a source or not, or who knows. The CIA, which I can tell you, having worked at the CIA, never comments on this stuff because of very obvious reasons. They don't, they don't want to confirm or deny, right? That's the, that's the phrase. You know, people ask me, they're like, Buck, did you go to the gym this week? Don't want to confirm or deny, right? I don't want to tell you because obviously I didn't get there today and I feel badly about it. Now, uh, the CIA came out and slapped down this CNN report, which is rare, which just goes to show you that it's really wrong. It's really wrong. Now, what exactly is going to happen from here? We'll have to see. But it forces some questions. Um, and Congressman Doug Collins, who was on Fox News, he's asking the first question that comes to my mind, which has to do with what team do these journalists think that they're playing for? I can tell you this. If I had information about a high-level Russian source that was important to U.S. national security and to our understanding of the inner workings of the Russian government, uh, and I had never held a clearance. I've held a clearance, so I obviously have held the different standards anyway. But if I had never held a clearance, I am damn sure that I would shut my mouth about that situation, not as a journalist, as an American as a patriot who cares about this country. These so-called elite journalist outfits like the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, they print stuff because they think they've made the decision that people need to know this information that they've gotten from some leak, some source inside the government, allegedly. And in many cases, when they do so, they are harming national security. They are hurting the interests of the United States. Now, because of First Amendment concerns, you could say, well, you know, we're not going to prosecute them for this, even though they are technically covered under the Espionage Act. And anybody who says otherwise doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. It is a DOJ policy not to prosecute journalists under the Espionage Act. It is not an exception contained in the Espionage Act itself. Trust me, I know. But why be... So reckless, wrong, it seems, and also reckless about this. What could create that degree of carelessness and, and really a, 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 a viciousness toward one's own country that you would possibly burn a high-level source like this and, and put that person? Because it's not just that person. Other sources that might want to work with the U.S. government or might be compelled down the line to work for America – give us very important information that could save a lot of lives. They're going to say, well, I can't do that because, you know, the lib director of such and such back in America may think, well, I hate the current Republican president, so I'm going to start blabbity blab blabbing. Or I hate the Republican contender in this case for the election, so I'm going to start talking. There are real ramifications from this. So what started out as a Trump has a big mouth and endangers our national security, we now find out, Oh, a bunch of Obama appointees actually have big mouths and may have endangered national security by forcing this uh, this person to get pulled out of Russia. Again, it all, it all depends on what parts of the story or how much of the story is accurate. 
But I, I turn to Congressman Doug Collins here because I think that he asks the most important, most relevant question, which is what team do they think they are on here? What team do the journalists think they are playing for in all of this? My response is, is first, let's talk about who actually wrote the story, CNN. This is the same group that hired Andy McCabe, who is uh, is one of the disastrous parts of the cabal that started against the president, as a commentator. To put this out at this time and to put it such a way that the CIA actually had to come out and respond to this is really a, a, a disturbing part. I mean, I really question whose side is CNN on. Um, this is a problem that we're seeing. I think that it needs to be investigated. But with the CIA coming out like it has, uh, then I think this will be something that we need to look at. And- Yeah. Why would CNN report on this? It's really not that interesting a story. If you take out the Trump element from it, there was allegedly a source in the Russian government close to Putin who people under the Obama administration got concerned about, probably because they were all talking too much to the press about information they were getting from him. And then the person had to get, you know, pulled out and brought to America and why is where's the story there unless unless it's a story they can tell they can pretend that it's all about trump it's trump's fault trump is the problem here he's the reason that they had to to pull this source well now it turns out that wasn't true so you have to ask yourself why would they talk about this in the first place also who are these officials these officials that are speaking to cnn's uh, jim shuto Let's tell you, it's never struck me as an impressive guy at all. But, and I've worked with him a bunch, done done shows where he's the host. Never been somebody that I was like, yeah, this is somebody that knows what's up. Uh, A total Democrat. I mean, just a water carrier for the Democratic Party through and through. Well, it works for CNN. This is not surprising. But who speaks to him about this? And this is what I want to know. Who with access, at least in theory, with the classified access to know about such a very sensitive high-level source. I mean, in one part of the, I think it was the CNN or the New York Times story, they said that they were bringing information to Obama about from this source in you know special sealed envelopes and very few people had access to it. Okay, so who's talking to the press about this? How could someone be so reckless? I mean, there's a lot of recklessness going on here. You have the recklessness of... Obama appointees in the intelligence community who, according to these stories, and I don't know how much of them are true. Remember, the CIA said this is all this is just crap. And Pompeo is like they're factually inaccurate. But I'm assuming there's something going on here. Right. So who in the who in the Obama intelligence circle is blabbing about this? That's reckless. You start with that. They should never be talking about a source in a in any foreign country in any circumstance ever, ever, ever. You start there and then see for CNN to run with this story. What if this source, you know, what if let's assume for a second that this guy that NBC went to, what if something happens to his family now back in, you know, wherever he's from? What if, uh, you know, someone's tortured and killed who's a relative of his? Think Jim Shuto's going to lose any sleep over that? What the heck are they doing over there? Oh, that's right. It doesn't matter what it means. For anyone's family it doesn't matter what it means for u.s national security it doesn't matter what it means about our ability to work with sensitive sources going forward it served its purpose 
run a story about how Trump is bad, how Trump is reckless, he hurts national security, he can't be trusted, he's an accidental traitor, if not a, a willing one, betrays his own national security as the commander-in-chief. That was what this was all about. That's why they ran the story. It was in, I think, the second line. You know, Donald Trump, blah, blah, spoke too much in a meeting with, uh, with Lavrov or whatever it was. That's why. You see, in the get Trump era, all ethics are, are disposable. Doesn't matter anymore. Whether you're a journalist, a high-level intelligence employee of this country, nothing matters as long as you're part of the hashtag resistance and you are going after Trump. You're hurting Trump. If you are accomplishing that, if you're doing that, anything can be justified. Source burning, lying, hurting national security. They are so delusional and they are so psychotic in their anti-Trump hatred that it has now become an excuse that allows them to suppress all other considerations. If a thing will be damaging for President Trump, even if it's just short term, they want to do it. They will run with it. People should be ashamed here. CNN should be ashamed. Whoever spoke to them about this should be ashamed. And they'll be lecturing us. Oh, just wait next week about Trump's decorum or how he speaks at press conferences or. And yet we have to ask the question about the mainstream press in this country and senior Democrats in intelligence circles under the Obama administration. What side are they on? Because from this whole incident, it's very clear they're not playing for America. They may be, they're playing for somebody else. You know, they're, they're, they're not on our team here. And really the team they play for is get Trump at all costs. That's what this story is a reminder of. That's what is really happening here. And we've also got to speak about this. Was it a resignation or a firing or a what with uh, Captain Mustache himself, John Bolton? Um, we'll get into that. I actually did Red Eye with Bolton years ago. I was like, wow, this guy's doing Red Eye? Who knew? That was a great show. I missed that show. We'll be right back. I'll leave to the president to talk about the reasons he made the decision. But I would say this, the president's entitled to the staff that he wants at any moment. This is a staff person who works directly for the president of the United States, and he, he should have people that he trusts and values and whose efforts and judgments benefit him in delivering American foreign policy. It's what, uh, as cabinet member Secretary Mnuchin, I try and do each and every day. And when the president makes a decision like this, he's well within his rights to do so. President decided that it was time for Bolton to go. Not the, uh, not the first pick that I, I have to say I heard about with, with furrowed brow or perhaps furrowed mustache. Uh, Bolton didn't strike me as the guy that you would want in this role in this presidency. Uh, Bolton is somebody that was much more comfortable in a uh, Bush era of foreign policy where we were under attack by global jihadism and we're looking to take out the bad guys everywhere and anywhere and, and then try to rebuild the countries that they were coming from. That's that's a whole other part of it. That's where we, I think, lost our way. Uh, he's very hawkish on Iran. And this is where this is where I break with him. I think many other on the right, many others on the right break with them, too. Uh, we do not want a war with Iran. 
We don't want to do it. The Iranians are not about to start a war with us. Uh, they will saber, uh, saber rattle. They'll do the usual provocations. And I'm not saying we don't slap them down, but we have a maximum, a maximum sanctions regime in place against them. And you would think that that also, given the fact that Iran is a militarily you know, third tier country, means that we don't really have to worry all that much. Uh, you know, we're, we are not... We should not feel like we're in a uh, in a place that is getting closer and closer to a, a conflict with Iran. And for those who are saying, oh, but Bob, we need to be tough on Iran. Keep in mind that one of the big conflicts that was being written about, talked about, was between Pompeo and Bolton. And I can tell you, having spoken to Pompeo a bit, knowing, that, knowing a bit about his background, if you're way too hawkish for Mike Pompeo... You want to go to war with a lot of people. I mean, you know, you are pretty intense. And I think that Bolt, I mean, I think that Bolton's also in, incapable of a degree of self-correction. And this is why it's, for me, a, a good idea that, that, uh, that he moved on from this administration. His whole life has been in foreign policy, I should say. His whole life has been dedicated to the much more aggressive and military first approach to international diplomacy and national security issues around the world. He's not about to decide at this late stage, you know what? Uh, Maybe we should just back off a little bit. Maybe it's time that America takes alternative courses when we have an an oppositional state that we have to deal with. You know, and so I, I just think that, for, for me, it's probably a, a good move, a good idea. Uh, you know, I, I do worry Bolton is not technically a neocon. People are calling him a neocon. He's really not. A ne- he's really just a super hawk. But a super hawk is not something that we need right now. Uh, we need a super end the wars. That's what I would like to see. Enough is enough. Anyone who tells me we need to keep troops in Afghanistan, I just want to ask them why. To what end? They never give me an answer to keep it from getting even worse. Well, then we're going to be there for the next 100 years. And maybe that won't even keep it from getting worse, by the way. Uh, there's a lot more here. We'll, we'll get into this. Who's going to take over for Bolton? Hmm. I'm free. I'm never surprised. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. And, and I don't mean that on just this issue. Um, and, and I think Secretary Mnuchin would say the same thing. We, we work very closely with the President of the United States. I think we have a pretty good understanding of how he's thinking about things. Uh, I think you'd agree, Stephen, at, at nearly all times. And so, um, you know, we, our, our, mis- our mission sets not to talk about these inner workings in the palace intrigue that I know you are so curious about, but rather, but, but rather to talk about the things that matter to American foreign policy. No, the the libs and the media, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about, you know, who who fired who, who resigned. This is going to be where the focus is now. Did he resign? Was he fired? You fired, right? That's Trump's famous line. I'm just going to say it. Trump's had to fire too many senior people from his administration. Trump's, I mean, look, folks. Has he had yours truly as press secretary or national security advisor or senior White House? No, he has not. So how good can his judgment really be? Just going to put it out there. Uh, he keeps bringing in a lot of clowns, a lot of very uh, bad people, unethical people who, and it comes back to bite him. And he knows this. I mean, I'm not, I don't think that if Trump were on the line right now. I don't think he'd disagree with this. Omarosa? You're going to bring Omarosa into your White House? 
the mooch. You know, there's tons of people that have, have come and gone that, you know, you just say, what exactly was going on here? Why, why was this person in this position of, of influence and authority in this in this White House? Um, and there have been plenty of others. And Michael Cohen was his lawyer. The guy who turned on him was taping him. Ah, it's frustrating. I, I, I actually, maybe I'm, I'm going out on, on the limb here, but I, I don't think it's Trump. I think that there are people, I think there are people around him who give him very bad advice about this, who pick the wrong people, and he listens to them. And... He doesn't pick some of the people who are around him. He's attached to them forever. I think that there are some bad choices that, that have been made for him in this whole process. That's Now, it, the buck stops with Trump, but he should, uh, we, we should at least have some understanding of how you could have so many clunkers, right? Clunkers, just people that never should have been within a mile of a White House job, and yet they've had very senior White House jobs. Now, I don't think Bolton's in that category. I'm not... Bolton is a is, an, is a very accomplished guy, very much part of the, uh, you know, foreign policy establishment. But we don't really want people from the foreign policy establishment or previous administrations. What we really would like, what would be much better, is to have people who are knowledgeable about foreign policy but line up with the president's views on these things. That's what we want. We want somebody that understands that we want a... a a posture of, we'll just say it, of an America first forward policy. If it affects the, if it affects our country, our people, our interests, we're going to do what needs to be done, and we're not going to run around and play global cop and do these things. The Democrats, you know, Democrats have no problem using American military might and power as long as it's not for a core American interest. You know, as long as it's for some, you know, international vague humanitarian mission of some kind of that that's when democrats are like you know send in the marines but or but usually they want to send the marines under a u.n mandate and then it's well do they even get to wear you know the uniforms that they're supposed to wear or they're going to be answering to some u.n appointed bureaucrat i mean libs want crazy things crazy things when it comes to all this Uh, but i see now that the the back and forth is that trump (laughs) this is amazing Trump uh, said to Bolt, it was over Afghanistan. This is what has been reported. I, I don't know if this is a uh, this is directly confirmed yet, but but that Trump uh, and Bolton were fighting over the the meeting that took place. I'm sorry, that was going to take place at Camp David with the Taliban. I told you I didn't like that. I didn't like that meeting. I didn't think that was the right move. So. Now we have to get to, okay, um, Bolton didn't like, I, I, I assume Bolton didn't approve that meeting either, although Trump says it was his decision to end it. But we're also being told that Bolton is opposed to a drawdown of troops in Afghanistan. And then we just get to this, okay, we're just we're going to have troops and we're going to have soldiers deployed at the tune of, I think it's uh, is it 70 billion a year we're spending? I mean, we're, we're spending a huge amount of money to keep 12,000, 15,000, something like that, soldiers in Afghanistan. We're spending all this money and continuing military operations there and all this stuff. And it's just going to be this way forever, I suppose. And that's the new, the new normal is we go to, to clean up a, a nest of terrorists and then we stay and try to turn the lights on and clean the water up and build roads and do all this stuff. And then we're always told that we're being occupiers and we're, you know, enough. 
We, we've tried to turn around countries in the Muslim world. It has not worked out for us. You know, we, we have tried to do this. It's just not, it's not our mission set. It's not our job. It's not our role. And the people that got us there in the first place, I don't really want to hear from them because they've been wrong, wrong, and wrong. You know, we, we were not, you know, greeted as, as liberators and then there was a flowering of democracy across Iraq and everything was fine, you know, in Afghanistan. They're not even able to tell me what the what the mission is in Afghanistan for the last 10 years, really. it's The mission in Afghanistan has been keep this place from turning into the seventh circle of hell, basically. Leave enough troops so it's stuck at like the second circle of hell. It's a Dante's Inferno reference for those of you that are of the literary type. Um, I just think that this is enough. I, I think that uh, there's an, there should be, there is an understanding here that Trump needs to have people around him who share his fundamental preference for not fighting endless wars endlessly and moving forward here. And that's not going to be Ambassador Bolton. It's just not. Uh, so was he fired or did he resign? I don't know what difference. What what difference does it make? Remember that it's a little Hillary, little Hillary throwback for you. But what difference at this point does it really make? Uh, the guy's, you know, he's out. I, I don't think anyone thinks that he's out because he's incompetent or anything like that. He's out because he doesn't align with the president. And it's the national security advisor. He, the president has to have a very good rapport with him. He's got a good team in place uh, with with Pompeo and. You know, Mnuchin, and he's got these guys that he does have a very good rapport with, that he does seem to have a lot of faith in. And, you know, Pence seems to have also built a very solid and and trusting professional relationship with the president. You know, he needs a national security. You know, I got an idea. What about my man Fred Flights? Just putting it out there. Fred Flights would be a great national security advisor. Uh, I know him. He's a super smart guy. We come from the, the same community. And, uh, you know, I, I think Fred would be an, an excellent pick. Um, there are others out. I know that there's these other names, people in the military. I was going to say the military industrial complex. That's not really what I meant. With the national security apparatus, I don't know all of them are. But, uh, you know, another thing I'm just going to tell you, there's no shortage of really smart people that work on national security that could do this job. All right. We, people get way too attached to, oh, this guy, because I know his name, he must be the best person who does the job. Uh-uh. There's there's a thousand people that could do the job of national security advisor very, very well. Trump just has to find one and it's not going to be Ambassador Bolton anymore. So there's that. The president's been very clear on this. The president's view of the Iraq war and Ambassador Bolton's was very different. The president's made that clear. That's just one of the areas I think we can assume that there was a, a discrepancy between how Trump sees things and how uh, Ambassador Bolton saw things. There are many others, as we've been discussing. Uh, there are really there, there's really a a sea change in the way we see foreign policy. Uh, there's really been a, a big shift, and it's between those who I think can't accept, and I'm talking about the establishment really of both parties, those who can't accept what we have learned from our forays into uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and to a lesser extent, Syria and Libya. There are those who take lessons from this and those who think that, well, the costs have been high and it hasn't exactly gone as we thought it would. But if they could do it all over again, they would. 
I think that mentality is dangerous. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I believe in the free exchange of ideas, but I also think that there are ideas that are dangerous, and we should call them that. Uh, if you have a mindset, if you're somebody who's in a position of power and influence, and you really think that, for example, the takeaway of Iraq and Afghanistan is we can do this again, and we should just do it a little differently next time, I've got a problem with that. I, I have an issue with that because it's going to mean that many thousands of my fellow Americans will lose their lives, uh, will be maimed, will have PTSD, and will go through all of that in service, in sacred service to their country. To be told later on, perhaps, well, we didn't achieve the mission there. We weren't even sure what the mission was. But a bunch of guys in pinstripe suits and foggy bottom thought that this would be a good idea or more likely at the Pentagon. And that's how it went. Sorry. Sorry we didn't think this one through more. No, I think we owe it to think the next one through a whole lot more. Uh, I think that it's very easy to see in retrospect that what we did in Afghanistan initially was the right move. We stayed too long. We should have left years ago. It should no longer be our problem. There are plenty of countries around the world where there's a lot of violence and a lot of instability and bad things are happening and we don't lose any sleep over it. We should not make Afghanistan our problem for all eternity. I will say this. O Obama did a, a terrible job managing U.S. foreign policy and completely, uh, well, ISIS really happened in response to the Obama administration deciding to prematurely uh, pull out of Iraq. And you can say, well, Buck, why are you saying that about Iraq and then Afghanistan? You have a different take. Well, we've been in Afghanistan for almost 20 years, folks. Been in Afghanistan for almost 20 years, and it doesn't get better. Uh, in, in Iraq, we had a relative stability, a relatively functional central government, and a realistic shot, especially with Kurdish help in the north, of having long-term stability and guess what Obama administration wanted to just pull the plug and they sent biden over there to do it so if you're trying to just mess things up i guess biden's your guy for the job but all of that said this is too important to make it just about to look at just through a partisan lens obama did not start a land war in syria you know he didn't didn't get drawn into that and that's a very a, a very simple baseline of a, a, a good thing to do, but it is give. We have to give credit where it's due, or at least he didn't get in the midst of what was just a horrific meat grinder of humanity in Syria. Uh, and anybody who knows anything about Iran knows that if we all of a sudden take it upon ourselves to overthrow that regime and and have some kind of a war with Iran where we're going to rebuild the country afterwards, it's going to be a nightmare, all right? We, we do not want it. We don't want to do it. We've had enough. We've had enough war. We don't have to keep going to war. There are a lot of countries around the world that haven't had wars in a long time. We, we keep getting drawn into wars, and I know we're the great power, but maybe a great power can be a little bit more uh, slow to engage in these conflicts that, let's be honest, in some cases have a very tenuous connection to immediate U.S. national security interests. You know, I, I joined the CIA because of 9-11. You know, I, I just saw today in the 
lobby of Fox News, I saw Johnny Joey Jones, uh, you know, who was an EOD tech uh, in the military. Uh, he's done. The, he's been a guest on this show. He's on Fox all the time. I mean, that guy is an American hero. Uh, you know, Joey Jones has a great attitude. He is obviously expert in his field of, of EOD and, and military issues. And he also lost both of his legs to a bomb in, in Iraq. Um, I believe it was Iraq. If it was Afghanistan, apologies. But I believe he lost his, uh, lost his legs in Iraq. And he's now somebody that is out there and, and speaking about what should happen next for, for this country. You know, we had Sean Parnell here, who's a combat veteran. He lost many friends of his as an Army Ranger. Uh, these, are, these are consequential decisions that are made. And we are putting our, our best fellow Americans at real risk. And I think that people like John Bolton, I, I think that Bolton means well, but I also think that he's fundamentally wrong. He's wrong that we have to take Iran on head on. He's wrong that the best approach with the Iranians is to increasingly rely on a military military first uh, tactics. I mean, look, d- d- does I spoke to high level people in the White House about this when I was down in D.C. I mean, I spoke to people about this without attribution. And they're like, yeah, Bolton, Bolton thinks a war with Iran is probably going to happen and, you know, wouldn't be the worst thing. And I disagree. And Bolton thinks that pulling troops out of Afghanistan is a terrible idea. And, you know, he utterly refused that that, that that's the way. Well, this is what I'm hearing. And I think that's wrong, too. No more wars, guys. No more wars unless someone attacks us. And then if we go to war with them, it's going to be a war of annihilation. I mean, I'm not saying we kill everybody, but it's going to be a war where we have no doubt whatsoever about the uh, the mission, the purpose, and the righteousness of our cause. We're not doing this regime change, make some other country a better place thing because they could be a threat to us in the future or they could be a threat to Israel. We're done with it. We're done with it. We've, we've spent a whole generation doing this now. Now we have to look to China and look to Russia and look to near-peer competitors. You know, we might be drawn into a war at some point in the future with a country that has a real air force, folks. That's going to be a real, a real kick in the face. It's going to be very different from what we've been dealing with since 9-11. Finding these counterinsurgency operations, effectively, around the world against uh, jihadist entities or jihadist governments that are ramshackle. So this is a change that I think we should uh, we should welcome. I, I think that Trump understands that he's made promises to his uh, to his base that he was elected because he wasn't going to take the Bush Hillary Clinton approach. Keep in mind, Hillary Clinton was for uh, toppling Gaddafi and getting involved in Libya and turn that into a total mess. And then Obama made the exact wrong decision, which was pull out of Iraq at the at the worst time. And escalate in Afghanistan while saying you're going to draw down. Now, these are the people and their advisors, too, are the ones that think that we all want to hear from them about how things should go in the future and what should come next. And I look at their records and I say, we should learn from their mistakes. We should learn from what happened here. Not try to replicate it. All right? I, I, I don't think that we want to go down the hawkish Bolton path in the future. I really don't. Oh, we had Russia, we'll Russia, Russia, with the Russia and then we were supposed somewhere. to have impeach, impeach, impeach. But maybe not. 
Looks like Libs are uh, having a little bit of a of a back-and-forth moment here. They're not quite sure if, in fact, they are going to impeach the president. They, You know, he's the worst president in history, they say. He's a national security threat. He's a, uh, a danger to the republic. Well, they would say a democracy because they like to say that. But, you know, he's a danger to this country, and he could start a nuclear war at any moment. He gives away secrets to Vladimir Putin. He does Vladimir Putin's bidding. He, you know, is is every terrible thing. You, you, you can't really think of a horrible thing in society that they have not said about Trump in one way or another. You know, he's a, a, a sex criminal. He's a traitor. He's a fraud. He's a, you know, just they say everything about this guy. And yet when it comes time for them to finally just put their money where their mouths are and impeach, you know what? All of a sudden, uh, no. All of a sudden, they're not really, or they're not sure. I should say they, they're they're having a, a a moment here of of wavering. I wouldn't say a crisis of conscience because these Democrat members of Congress don't really have consciences. They do whatever they have to do to achieve power and to bludgeon the other side into submission. That's that's the whole pur- uh, purpose. That's the whole point. Um, here's Ocal- I mean, Oh, we haven't heard from AOC in a while. I think maybe some people started to get tired of her. Have we reached a point where Democrats have? recognize that she's a liability have we have we reached that point yet i don't know but we're certainly close here's what uh, aoc had to say we have to do our job and i think that um, once the house impeaches the house has impeached the president and then that hearing goes to the senate if they want to fail it then i want to see every republican go on the record and knowingly vote against impeachment of this president knowing his corruption having it on the record so that they can have that stay on their careers for the rest of their lives because this is outrageous yeah so i mean you know it's outrageous she says and yet, it's so outrageous that Democrats can't figure out if they actually want to do this or not. I mean, some of them have been saying it all along. At least we can say we can say that. Here's former Representative Donna Edwards on MSNBC, also known as the Impeachment Network. Must impeach Trump. Well, to me, it's actually a, a question of constitutional norms, and I worry that we have moved the bar so much for this president that uh, in terms of the role of the, con- of, of the, of the Constitution, Article One powers of, of the legislature that are being trampled on, um, we've seen the, you know, the 10 acts of obstruction that are noted in the, the Mueller report. This, these are violations of the Constitution. I mean, the president is an unindicted co-conspirator. Uh, I think it's actually really time to move on impeachment so that we set the bar at a place where the American people understand what the rights and roles and responsibilities of the president are. It's just blather. What does any of that even mean? It's time to move on impeachment so we set the bar at a place where the American people understand what the rights and roles and responsibilities of the president. I mean, she's she's joking, right? The only people that want to see Trump impeached are Democrats and psychotic never-Trumpers. No one who voted for Trump thinks he should be impeached at all. In fact, I think the president should receive an apology. I really mean it. I think the Democrats in Congress, I think the uh, I think Jeff Zucker and, and CNN and Rachel Maddow over at M- and MSNBC, I think they should apologize for perpetuating a hoax 
that the president worked with the Russians to cheat in the 2016 election uh, and then did everything in their power to try to create an obstruction narrative on top of it because they just can't accept that they lost, that Hillary was a terrible candidate. No, I wasn't. Hillary was uh, an awful candidate for the presidency, and they made a mistake in putting her forward. But they, they can't move past it. They won't move past it. And they think that impeachment is going to do what exactly? They impeach this president. Guess what? The next time you have a Republican majority in the House and a Democrat president, we can find some reason to just do impeachment proceedings there, too. You know, they they're going to say that it's it's based on the obstruction counts. Notice how they, they keep focusing on the 10 counts of obstruction. How about focus on one? What's the one count of obstruction that we're supposed to believe is enough on its own for impeachment. It's always about the 10 counts of obstruction, because if they focused in on one, we'd be able to say, well, no, but that's not really obstruction. <laughs> so that's pretty weak. Give us your best one. They can't They can't manage to do that. Um, they, they're just clowns. I mean, this whole process has turned into such a mess, and it's so obvious to anyone who's who's being honest about it that they were set on this from the start. It was never about finding more information, figuring out what needs to be figured out on this stuff. Um, it was just about showing their hatred for a president that they despise. And and then all this all this stuff on TV, we have these different congressmen and pundits, and oh, we're, oh, we're going to impeach him. I mean, just grow up, people. There's an election coming, all right? If he's such a bad president, convince enough people to vote for his one of his opponents and then he won't be president anymore. You know, that this is, I mean, Dems, they're such babies. You know, I lived through eight years of Obama, all the, the press just giving him, you know, treating him like he was some kind of a saint and all the accolades. Everything Obama did was amazing. If you criticized him, you were a racist, you were a bad person. You couldn't use the socialism word. Oh, my gosh, that's socialism was racist when Obama was president. That's what they would say. You can't call him a socialist. That's racist. No, it's just, he's a socialist. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, you know, he's also a golfer, right? I mean, like, you're just describing something that's reality. Like, the guy plays golf, the guy's a socialist. Like, this is just the way it is. Oh, man. And yet here we are. Oh, wait, I wanted to get to this, because it's another one of these moments that it's erasing the, speaking of Obama, erasing the Obama uh, legacy. You know, Obama did all these things as president, all these executive branch maneuvers. They couldn't get through the Congress because Democrats know there are some things that the base of the Democratic Party wants them to do, but they don't do it because they know that it would seem crazy and they would lose uh, enough voters that it would be a problem for them. And that's that's why you don't, you know, that's, that's why Democrats, uh, for example, have backed off of some of the climate change stuff that they they want it to be through the federal bureaucracy because nobody can hold them accountable. They want the EPA to crush your business in the name of climate change. They don't want to actually pass legislation because legislation can, you know, that people can get voted out of office for that. But Trump undid one of the Obama climate legacy items. I signed something couple of days ago, that gives you the right to continue to use the incandescent light. And, and I don't know about you, much less expensive. I don't know about you, but I don't know. I'm not a vain person. I know I have no vain people, especially these incredible ladies in the front. 
but I look better under an incandescent light than these crazy lights that are beaming down on. Change the light bulb uh, regulation. It seems like a small thing, but it's a thing that the Obama administration put into effect going to tell you what kind of lights you can use in your house. No end to the meddling in your day-to-day life. No end to the, the petty dictatorial impulse of the central planner, which is what you have time and again from Democrats. It's really a uh, defining characteristic of the Democrat left. So we have much more coming up, my friends, including some talk about a Beto O'Rourke plan for where people should be able to live. That's coming up in a bit. Honestly, can I be honest? It's crazy what's happening. This whole thing with sanctuary cities. And you go to California, which is so many sanctuary cities. They don't know what's happening out there. You have people that want to get rid of those sanctuary cities. They just aren't able to do it with the people that get elected. A lot of illegal voting going on out there, by the way. A lot of illegal voting. Sanctuary cities continue. The wall is not yet built. And I know I told you yesterday that things had gotten better at the border. That's true. But it is all a matter of perspective. Turns out that this August, despite the big drop from the 130,000, which is just an enormous number, a few months back of illegal crossings at our southern border, now we are at, uh, what's, uh, 64,000 people who were detained or turned back in August. And that is for the month of August. And I did mention this, to my credit, uh, that in August, because it's so hot, you have fewer people that want to make the journey. Uh, there's a, a very real fear of, of uh, a risk, I should say, of overheating, of dying from exposure to the elements, of dehydration. But it's the highest number of illegal crossings that we've had in 10 years in August. So it's still really bad. Uh, Mexico seems to be helping a little bit here. There is some action. But it is, a, it is now a, a fair thing to say that the Mexican government is more invested in stopping the flow of Central American illegal immigrants into this country than the Democratic Party and the Democrats in Congress. They have a a mission. I mean, they have a very clear self-appointed mandate, and that is to make sure that we cannot, that we do not have an effective immigration policy. Make sure that we can't enforce border, uh, enforce our border. Make sure that we don't do interior enforcement. And that's why they're also going to do everything that they can to make sure that there's no uh, wall being built. They're very opposed to this. Uh, CBS was reporting today. Senate Democrats are moving on two fronts to block President Donald Trump from using special emergency powers transfer money from his military-based construction projects uh, like new schools to pay for new fences along the U.S.-Mexico border. First, Democratic leader Chuck Schumer of New York announced Tuesday that he will force a vote to reject the plan, saying the vote would give lawmakers a chance to block Trump from stealing military funding from their states to foot the bill for an expensive and ineffective wall he promised. Can we just start with this, please? The government moving money from one thing to another thing that the government has the right to spend money on is not stealing. You know what is stealing? Taxes. 
That's stealing. That's taking from you. Now they could say, oh, it's legalized theft. Okay, fine. But it's the government saying, you're going to give us this or else. You don't get a say in this. You're just born. You're in this country. You don't get a say. You got to give them the money. So it's a lot closer to stealing when the government does it. But when the government says that they've got a billion dollars that they're going to spend on roads and instead they're going to spend it on on fences, that's not stealing. As much as Chuck Schumer and the rest are going to try to lie about this. Uh, it's just ridiculous. So, you know, they're doing everything they can to make a big deal of this and to try to stop it because they know this is not this is not even really about border security for them. Uh, this is about making sure that Trump cannot credibly uh, claim to have followed through on a core campaign promise. So this is just all political. And speaking of where the Democrats are on this, notice how once again we had the same debate we always do over guns in the aftermath of a mass shooting. We had the same discussion. You know, oh my gosh, if you if you care about saving dead children, if you care about uh, you know stopping gun violence, you got to do whatever the Democrats say. And if you don't do whatever the Democrats say, you're a bad person. That's what they tell you. And that's that for every mass shooting. Uh, notice how it's, it's quieted down and we've moved on to other things and there's been really no change in gun laws. Once again, maybe it's because we've got about as many gun laws on the books as we, we reasonably can and should have and that anything beyond that is counterproductive and likely unconstitutional. Maybe we're there. You know, libs pretend like on climate, we're at the sweet spot. Whatever the temperature is now, that's exactly what the temperature needs to always be. They they think that the tax code, whatever the tax rate is now, that's that's perfect, except maybe it should be higher. But it should never be lower. It's, It's just, it's the absolute lowest it could possibly be. That's what they'll tell you, right? But when it comes to gun control and gun laws... How about taking that perspective? Yep, this is about as many as uh, this is about as many gun laws as we need to have in the books. Well, Nancy Pelosi is obviously not going to take that position. Here's what uh, Nancy we we haven't we haven't heard from Nancy Pelosi in a while. Here's what she says. So here we are once again asking the Grim Reaper, informing the Grim Reaper that this bill is these bills are alive and well in the public that he, public opinion, public sentiment will weigh in. And as I have said in our meetings across the country, we will make this issue too hot for him to handle. But some of the gun violence prevention groups have made it up the ante even further to say that if, the, if this bill is not passed, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate and the president will have hell to pay. I don't think Cocaine Mitch is too worried about this one. In fact, interestingly enough, today uh, on the Drudge Report, there were some links about how, uh, what is it now, sales of guns, according to the Washington Examiner here, there's been a a, uh, gun sale surge 15%. This is according to the leading indicator of gun sales, based on the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, a 15% surge. Oh, sorry, this is according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, based on NICS, NICS data. Um, So people are buying more guns. 
So this is what always happens. They say they're going to take away our guns. I, I, we didn't play this earlier in the week. I don't know. I guess we don't have it. But Beto had this just, just hilariously stupid soundbite where he's like, I mean, oh yeah, we're going to do a buyback. And like, we're not even going to have to like go get the guns door to door because people are just going to turn them in because they're like good people. Yeah. Uh, Molan Labe, Beto. Molan Labe. I do not think that... Uh, you're going to be able to convince people that own firearms to just just show up at the at the you know local federal bureaucrat office and or you know wherever and, and hand in all of your guns because Beto and company say so. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's a high, highly unlikely situation. I also don't think there's going to be any gun control legislation. And I think that Trump's. I said this to you a couple a few weeks ago that that maybe Trump's play here is just say okay okay. You know, the the anti-gun crowd, I'm hearing you, I'm listening, I'm hearing you, I'm listening, uh, but didn't really plan on doing anything. And look, you got to remember, Trump could always could always veto whatever legislation, even even if it managed to pass, which I don't think it ever would in the Senate. It could, it could clearly pass in the House. Uh, Trump could always veto it. And that would be quite a way of sending a signal to his base that he's not going to bow to the dictates of Nancy Pelosi and the Lib Squad. So there's that. I don't think there's going to be any any gun control legislation. I don't think there should be any gun control legislation. Well, we've got to remember, too, the reason they want to pass a law like that is to agitate you. It's to poke a finger in your chest and say, you own guns. You're a bad person. Now you have to register. Now you have to turn these things in. Now you're on the wrong side of the law. That's what this is really about. It's not going to stop any gun violence they're doing this because they're afraid look the republican party is afraid because this president is imploding every single day i mean look what's happened the last 24 hours who knows what trump is going to say next week they don't want any primary opposition anderson Ah, would it dilute the opposition on the republican side to president trump to have three people in the race as one no, I think it strengthens it. I mean, what, what the administration has basically said, what the Trump campaign has said is uh, it was just Bill Well for a while. It's a voice crying in the wilderness. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, it's pay it no attention. All of a sudden, when you end up with three candidates and three different candidates, he's saying there's something wrong with his presidency. What's going on here is not consistent with the Republican Party that we know about, believe in and invested major portions of our life in. That's a different conversation. What would be the opposite of the Avengers? Would it be the losers? Because that's what you would have to call this trio of Bill Weld, Mark Sanford and Joe Walsh. The losers. Definitely not the Avengers. What are these clowns doing? No, actually, I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. Um, This is a branding tool. Uh, This is an opportunity for people to get more social media following, to get their names, to be household uh, household names, to just get their faces out there. And look, uh, you had uh, Walsh, who is one of these annoying. Now he's a never Trumper. He was a super Trumper. He's just an opportunist. The guy's an opportunist straight up, Uh, you know, and and for people that are going to talk to me about, oh, but Trump, you know, his, his tweets are bad. And I don't, you know, he's said this nasty thing and he said that nasty thing. And what about that thing you said to John McCain? And what about that thing you said to... I was looking at them and I say, okay, so you want to vote for the baby killer party 
instead. That's that's your never Trump maneuver. You want to vote for the uh, a baby's not a baby till it's breathing outside the womb party because that's officially what they're saying now. Is, is that's your answer to Trump has a mean tweet? I just have no patience, none for this this never Trump garbage that you see from people who especially used to be Trump supporters. What do they figure out in the meantime? Oh, what they fi- and the, I mean, the mooch is a perfect example. Of this now he's saying Trump is fat and obese and disgusting. I mean, the mooch is just it, the whole thing is pathetic. It's just gross. The guy is just desperate for attention. He's a wealthy guy. He's done well for himself. You know, just s- stop the grasping for attention all the time. He's not that interesting. He's obviously not ethical. He obviously has terrible judgment. So why are we hearing from this guy? Oh, that's right. Because if you will, if you've had any uh, connection to Trump or any connection to Republican politics and you're willing to turn around and say outrageously uh, nasty, undermining, aggressive, anti-Trump stuff, you'll get on CNN. But, you know, it makes you wonder, at what point do people feel like they're being just too clearly exploited by CNN? I guess some people don't care about that exploitation. As as long as they get to be on TV, as long as Anderson Cooper asks them some not hostile questions in primetime, they'll just go along with it. And it's really, it's a shame. Uh, It's a shame because... These people are going to get these uh, three candidates. What Sanford, Weld, Walsh? I mean, Walsh in particular. What is this Walsh guy doing? I I, I met him once. I mean, he seemed like an okay guy. I, I didn't really talk to him. Uh, you know, he's he had a, a he had a radio show. I think it was on a couple of stations or something. And it, it seemed very much like he was a guy who was just trying to trying to keep the the lights on and the bills paid, however he had to, uh, after being a very unimpressive congressman. And now he's not just trashing Trump, keep in mind, but he goes after people that are Trump supporters, you know, says that they're they're a problem, you know, that they have some some soul searching to do. Uh, look, this is this is going nowhere. I mean, Trump's approval rating in the Republican Party is, is through the roof. Um, you know, there's there's what Trump does well and doesn't do well. And then there's what the Democratic Party represents and what it has become. And, and here's the, the very simple reality. It is not possible. It is not possible to be a conservative who has any principles or ethics whatsoever and support the Democratic Party today. It's not possible. Okay, you, you cannot give me this. Oh, but but it would be better if if the Democrats won. You know, this is the Max Boot, who, by the way, Max Boot has written yet another column. This is his thing now. This guy used to be a used to be a right winger, a right wing neocon. Uh, you know, he's a national security expert that never worked in national security. He read, read a lot of stuff and wrote a lot of books. Um, he, he writes the same column over and over again and says the same thing over and over again, which is, you know, he's going to vote for Democrats over Republicans. And then he gets mad when everyone ignores him because they're like, that's just the, the, the basis for doing that. The basis for for saying that um, is farcical. If you say you're a conservative. It is not it is not helping the true cause of conservatism to assist the enemies, the ideological enemies of conservatism by giving them power. That does not help. There's no purifying effect here. We know who the libs are. We know what they want to do. We understand what their game is. And 
I just get, I'm so tired of this, this never Trump nonsense. I mean, Bill Crystal is on CNN. I think he's a CNN contributor. He's on CNN every five seconds saying the same crap. And he, he must know that everyone at CNN, all the anchors, they think that Bill Crystal is a, is a total, is a total nut bar. They think he's a wacko. They don't think that this is a guy who they respect but he goes on tv i used to be the editor-in-chief of the weekly standard or whatever or the publisher of the weekly standard whatever it was and now i just tell you how terrible trump is all the time i i would like to say this i'm going to try to avoid any talk of bill weld joe walsh or mark sanford on this show because uh they don't deserve the attention and i'm still annoyed at myself although you know, it was he was running third party and he was ex-CIA and I felt a little ex-CIA kinship. The fact that I ever had, uh, you know, Evan McMuffin on my show. <sighs> and then that guy, he, he's about as sanctimonious as Sancticomi and is a Democrat. He can say he's a conservative the guy's a Democrat. He's helping the other side. If, he, if he's not a Democrat, well, then he's just a loon. Uh, but, you know, now he's got like a half a million Twitter followers and he's somebody that people now sometimes treat like his opinion matters when all he did was run a, a laughable and worthless third party candidacy that didn't seem to have didn't, never seemed to answer the question. What exactly would you say you're doing here? Why are you running? Are you just running for attention? Well, that's what that's definitely what Sanford and Walsh are doing. Well, uh, he's been in the game a little bit longer, but. I'm going to try to avoid all these guys. I'm definitely not watching their debate later this month. I announced today that we got the Soccer World Cup. That's a big thing. Who else is going to do it? But it's, we've got a problem. It's in 2026. Gianni Infante, who was a great guy, and we announced it in front of the press. And 2026, and I said, well, wait a minute. Under the normal rules... I'll be out in 2024, so we may have to go for an extra term. They're going crazy. They're going crazy. Tomorrow you're going to see headlines, Trump wants an extra term. I told you, I told you. He wants an extra term. He wants an extra term, ladies and gentlemen. We told you. We told you he's a dictator. We told you. He's totally right, by the way. You are going to hear that. People will just take it out of context. They'll say, well, he said he was kidding, but he's clearly not kidding. Trump wants to be a dictator. We're going to have Trump forever. He, He trolls them so hard and so well. He really does. He knows that libs believe this insanity. You know, the, the libs are so crazy that they don't understand that even the people that vote for Trump, but believe it or not, libs, we wouldn't be OK with him being a dictator. You know, we, we wouldn't be OK with any administration going tyrannical. Doesn't even doesn't matter if we like some of what the tyrant does or not. You know, we, we would never be OK with that. We, we are the, you know, the uh, live free or live free or die people on the right here. You know, the, the don't tread on me people. We're not about to say, yeah, be president for four terms 10 terms you know whatever hand it over to your kids so the president knows the second that he that he says that he knows that he's just he's just pressing their buttons because they do absolutely hate this president in a way that's irrational 
that's uh, bizarre. And that I, I think if you want to talk about a, a danger to this country's stability, it's the people who have gone unstable because Trump is president. But he is going to continue to poke and prod and have his way with much of the media. And they just play right into it. They really do. Uh, they, they can't help themselves. You know, we'd like to think, or rather, I think most people would believe that there is some, uh, there is some strategy that is being instituted here by the media that they know that they've got a long-term game that they're running against the president. But I, I think that many of them just completely lose it. I mean, they just completely freak out the moment that it comes to anything Trump related. They, they are no longer capable of rational thought when you bring Trump into the equation. And, and with some very serious consequences, as, as I've been telling you on the show today, the journalistic ethics that are abandoned, whether it's a source burning for a journalist or writing about uh, sources and methods within the intelligence community uh, as a journalist, right? The source burning, that was the um, scheduler, I think it was, that worked in the White House who said something not nice about Tiffany Trump. And it was in an off the record. Journalists are supposed to protect off the record conversations um, and and it's, you know, when talking to a story, and they didn't, they got somebody fired. Did that ever happen? Did that ever happen to anybody in the Obama years that a, a journalist decided that they would uh, break a cardinal rule of journalism to get a low, relatively low level Obama staffer fired? Of course not. It only happens in the era of Trump. Only happens to people around Donald Trump because the rules aren't the rules anymore when Trump is president. That's what you have to always remember. You have to take that away from all of this. Um, And then there's another place where you're going to see the media absolutely in apoplectic freakout mode, and it'll be the moment Trump starts releasing or even just talking about releasing his financials. To this day, this is one of the most... (laughs) <laughs> to me, just the, the most uh, inexplicable areas of liberal media fascination. The, the federal government already has Trump's tax returns. The IRS can go through his tax returns as many times as they want, anytime they want. Uh, the what, what, what the expectations are here are so beyond the reality. And I would note that while there's been some effort to even leak some of Trump's taxes uh what was it the rachel maddow thing where she's like you know i have one page of donald trump's you know 1040 uh the truth is that it's almost impossible that there'd be anything in there that would justify this degree of uh, of frenzy around getting that information but trump is now saying he's actually going to release going to release more financial information at some point prior to the election, I'm going to be giving out a financial report of me, and it'll be extremely complete. I'm going to give out, I'm going to give out my financial condition, and you'll be extremely shocked that the numbers are many, many times what you think. I don't need to have somebody take a room overnight at a hotel. Now, I, I do think that you're, you can expect that what, if he does this, and he may just decide he's not going to do it because... He's Trump and he likes to troll the media. But if he does it, there'll be something about how his brand is worth $11 billion or something. You know, there's going to be some Trumpism. There's going to be some Trumpisms in there. 
But that last point he made is one that I've made many times in the past. These stories about, uh, the, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times run about the emoluments clause, all oh, the emoluments clause. There are adult professional journalists, many of them, many very uh, prominent ones who think that it would be possible to unduly influence the president of the United States by being a person from a foreign country who buys a hamburger in a hotel that is in part owned by that president. Now, if that were the case, think about all the influence you have everywhere, my friends. Every restaurant you go into, you'd be like, excuse me, I just bought a hamburger, so I think you should do whatever I say. Doesn't work that way. Normal people know this. And they did a a whole story. The Washington Post did a story where they added up all of the foreign government officials and delegations uh, and and did a what did they spend on rooms, food and drink at the Trump Hotel in D.C. over the course of I think it was two or three years. And it was a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, Now, keep in mind that that's not a couple hundred thousand dollars in Trump's pocket. See, libs don't understand how businesses work generally. You know, they usually work in jobs where, you know, they're either spending Soros money or government money or, you know, I know there are a lot of libs that are super wealthy and famous and everything else because they've you know invented iPhones. But I'm just saying the the mass of libs out there tend to be people that are not uh, not in touch with the core tenets of capitalism. And that's where you see the money that's spent. You know, you have to actually buy stuff and pay people to serve those hamburgers. So it's not even two hundred thousand dollars in Trump's pocket, which wouldn't be enough to buy him off anyway it's absurd it's when you were to do it on a percentage basis i mean what's the margin they're making on those hotel rooms and on that food you're talking about maybe a couple thousand bucks of profit that's actually going to trump directly at the end of the day from dozens of different people i mean it's so absurd from dozens of different countries it's so absurd that it defies belief and yet hillary clinton when she's secretary of state her husband bill clinton gets a check for $500,000. A check for one speech from a Russian-backed bank, Russian state-backed bank, and never a peep from the Washington Post about how that seems a little corrupt. It's almost like a bribe. This is why we can't take these people seriously. They're, They're such true believer activists that they don't even know they're true believer activists. They just think they're doing what's right. And they have no moral compass. They have no sense of right. And so it's incumbent upon us to tell them, you guys are crazy. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Leave my man Donald alone. He'll tell you a bit about his money. Vote for him. Don't vote for him. But be adults about this, libs. Be adults for once. Rich people are going to have to allow uh, or be forced to allow lower income people to live near them which is what we fail to do in this country right now. We, we force lower-income working Americans to drive one, two, three hours in either direction to get to their jobs, very often minimum wage jobs, so they're working two or three of them right now. What if, as we propose to do, we invested in housing that was closer to where you work, very often mixed income housing, meaning the very wealthiest are living next to those who are not the very wealthiest in this country, to make sure that they can both afford to go to the same 
public schools, that we really have that as a place where in this divided country right now you can come together without regard to your income or your race or your ethnicity or any other difference that should not matter right now. What if we invested, as we propose to do, in high-speed rail and in transit in all of our cities to make sure that if you do not have a car or do not want to use a car, you will not need to have one or you will not be penalized for not having one right now. So, so having cities that are smarter, that are denser, um, that have people living closer to where they work and where their families are to reduce our impact on climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, but also just to improve the quality of life um, you know, in, in these built environments, that's an extraordinary opportunity in, in our plan to climate change. We make those investments. Beto lives in a mansion, by the way. I've been to El Paso in the last year or so, and I remember driving past an area, a very wealthy area of town where you have million-dollar homes. Beto lives in a mansion. So it's interesting that he wants to lecture the rest of the country about how they have to have wealthy people living next to low-income people. Also, can I just propose this? If we're going to call, if we're going to continue to use the the old-school term wealthy for people and it's very it's very general, right? I mean, if you if you are a a state trooper and you're married to a veteran school teacher in a place like New York, you're probably pulling down a hundred and some of you are going to say what? It's true, though. You're probably pulling down one hundred and fifty, maybe one hundred and eighty K a year. You live in a nice neighborhood, even in the New York area on one hundred and eighty K a year. Are, are you wealthy? You know, if you're in a two income household and you've got two people who have have good professional jobs, you know, uh, you got a store owner married to, uh, I don't know, a speech therapist, you know, you're, you're making well over six figures. Are you, are you wealthy? We use this term wealthy, you'll notice, but we also then have to use the more genteel low income instead of poor. We used to say the poor that's now out of fashion, but wealthy still has a little bit of a, uh, a connotation to it. Oh, I'm wealthy. Uh, I shouldn't. Shouldn't have to deal with all these poor people, right? That's I just noticed these things in language, how language changes. Now it is always expected that you will say low income. Uh, and if you were to say poor, people might have a problem with that. But but Beto touches on some very I don't know, you're like, Buck, why are we wasting our time? I mean, it's like want all the people who have to pay so much money to like also have to live next to people who don't have to pay so much money, because like when you average it out, they're paying like an average amount of money. First of all, it's a great thing to be an anti-poverty crusader when you married a woman whose family is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, which is what Beto O'Rourke did. So we start with that. Okay. Beto never has to worry about paycheck or anything, ever. I do wish that we would have uh, politicians pretend to care so much about the poor less. And I'll say this is an area where, you know, I like, I like Trump's approach. Trump doesn't walk around being, being like, you know, oh, I, I care so much more about poor people than the next guy. He walks around saying, I want to help hardworking, good people in this country, you know, poor, middle class, upper class, whatever. I want to help them get a job and get government out of their way. I'm going to allow them to better their lives, have more money, have less taxes taken out of their bank account. You know, it's for me, that's a that's more respect. That's a position of respect. That's not a position of pandering. I think Beto is a panderer. But when he talks about cities, you can see that there is a, a, a central planning theme that runs through all of this. This is why libs love cities. They want to condense as many people as possible into one place. 
and then control of as much of their lives as possible. This is why rural areas tend to be uh, less likely to favor a massive federal government. Now, that's a lot of rural areas still get a tremendous amount of federal government assistance. And I'm talking about who they vote for, and what their politics are. So the central planning mentality is on display here. But when he talks specifically about um, how rich people are going to have to live next to, or sorry, this was the quote, rich people need to let poor people live near them. Quote, rich people are going to have to allow poor people live near them, which is what we fail to do in this country right now. This is a very underreported obsession that the left has. And one of the Democrat candidates right now out there was an architect of some of the early phases or early implementation of this program, former housing secretary Julian Castro. Uh, Julian Castro, when he was chief of HUD under Obama, was pushing very aggressively to to expand upon what's known as a Section 8, Section 8 housing programs. And those are it's essentially welfare payments to help people to help people pay the rent. It's, it's a welfare program for low income individuals. It says you're getting a, an X amount of dollars to go toward rent every month. And it's yet yet another one of the many different uh, welfare programs that we have that you often don't really think about. You know, we we usually think of welfare as, you know, what's your. Uh, what are you getting in terms of food stamps? Uh, what are you getting in terms of any other transfer payments out there? But Section 8 housing is a big one. And here's what they want to do. Uh, they want to use Section 8 vouchers. This was under the Obama administration. And Castro, uh, as recently as, when was this? Uh, as June, they were running stories on this. Uh, Castro, who, if you have a Democrat administration, I'm telling you, you're going to have a HUD director who's trying to push for this, wants to use Section 8 vouchers to put more low-income people in um, higher-income areas. Well, this is also used to tell people that they can't even stay in the neighborhoods that where they currently live if they're on if they're on uh, Section 8 vouchers because they 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 will drop they'll decide that in certain zones they will uh, drop down the subsidy and they'll raise the subsidy so that you'll move into a suburb right so the idea here is that if you live in a poor part of let's say uh, you know inner city Houston or inner city Dallas they'll give you a subsidy of you know, eight hundred dollars a month. But if you're willing to move to a, a, a more high rent area outside of Dallas, they'll give you twelve hundred dollars a month. Well, if, a lot of people are going to take that deal, right? And and they do this specifically because they have a belief that it will better the neighborhood. It, it will be better for the people that move into these neighborhoods who are on Section Eight vouchers to live around wealthier people. Uh, turns out where they where they've tried this program. Uh, the results have been something that would surprise central planners, but wouldn't surprise, I think, anybody else who really thought about it. This was from uh, Paul Sperry wrote about this in the New York Post about a year or two ago. Uh, President Bill Clinton started a program in 1994 called Moving to Opportunity Initiative, which moved thousands of mostly African-American families from government projects to higher quality homes in safer and less racially segregated neighborhoods in several counties across the country. The 15-year experiment bombed, 
2011 study sponsored by Housing and Urban Development found that adults using more generous Section 8 vouchers did not get better jobs or get off welfare. In fact, more went on food stamps and their children did not do better in their new schools. Worse, crime simply followed them to their safer neighborhoods, ruining the quality of life for existing residents. Males were arrested more often than those in the control group, primarily for property crimes, the study found. Dubuque, Iowa, for example, received an influx of voucher holders from projects in Chicago, and it's had a problem with crime ever since. A recent study linked Dubuque's crime wave directly to Section 8 housing. So there have been other uh, and then they, he also talks about a, a HUD, uh, another HUD test of this back in 2012 in Dallas using Section 8 vouchers to uh, move people from low income areas to uh, upper upper middle class areas. And but do you know why this stuff always has a a built in check on it? It's not this social engineering and social planning by the left. Uh, never it's never that they recognize because of humility or because of what works in practice versus what works in theory. It's never that they uh, learn their lesson. No, this is just like every time you talk to an academic about socialism who's a socialist, he'll say, oh, it hasn't been implemented properly. It hasn't been implemented correctly. Well, what stops the left from going all in on the uh, Section 8-based integration, socioeconomic integration of neighborhoods. So moving people who are low-income into high-income neighborhoods and then assuming that that's going to make things better for everybody is that libs don't want that done in their neighborhoods. I bring you the case of Hillary Clinton and her, her very cushy uh, suburb of Chappaqua. Chappaqua. I mean, you can't say it without feeling like you're wearing a top hat and a monocle. Excuse me, producer Mark. Can you please get me a diet creamsicle Shasta? I'm thirsty and I live in Chappaqua. I'll get right on it. Thank you. Guess what? Hillary's town of Chappaqua was fighting furiously against zoning changes and Section 8 regulations that would have made... Because remember, it's not just that there's the voucher. Then they then they pass uh, laws that that you have to take a certain number of Section Eight vouchers in certain towns. Then then they change the rules around. So not only are they using taxpayer dollars to subsidize this program, they say, guess what? You have to take some percentage of Section Eight vouchers for your new development. You have to take some percentage of Section Eight vouchers in this neighborhood if you're going to be renting property. But Chappaqua didn't want it. Hillary Clinton's town, they, they were all opposed to it while the Obama administration was expanding upon this. This is also just a version of what happens in the school system. Uh, I've told you before about this. There's this, this excellent microcosm of lib hypocrisy on education where you have uh, in Dumbo, in the Dumbo area of Brooklyn, which is down under the Manhattan, uh, Manhattan Bridge overpass. I think that's right. Uh, it's a very trendy area. There are two schools. One's uh, effectively entirely white, and the other is predominantly minority. And the largely white, I think it's 75 or 80 percent, and uh, sorry, white and Asian. The largely white and Asian school is an excellent, high-performing public school. And the 
underperforming school is over 75 percent black and, and Hispanic. And there there are these repeated efforts by city council members to say, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to take half the students from this school, put them in the other school, mix it up, and everyone's going to be great. You know what happens in Dumbo, which is one of the most blue? I mean, Dumbo is like a piece of, of San Francisco transferred to New York City in terms of how liberal it is. But you know what happens in this hyper-liberal area when they recommend this? Everyone freaks out. You see, it's fine in theory. It's fine in theory for libs to do this as long as they don't have to live with the theories. That's the only thing that stops these Section 8 uh, you know, moving around policies from being implemented fully that stop these mix. Take a good school and mix it up with an underperforming school as if that's going to somehow solve all the problems of it. It's because libs ultimately don't want it themselves, and there are limits to how much they can get away with before their hypocrisy is at least exposed. But so this, you know, when, when Beto's talking about how the rich people need to, li- uh, need to live next to poor people, this is becoming a widespread lib idea, a liberal talking point. Um, but keep in mind, the only thing that stops it from going all in is Beto doesn't want to live next to poor people. Beto wants to live in, man- in a mansion surrounded by other mansions. Just like the rest of the libs out there who talk about this stuff on TV and pretend that this is what they want. They want it for you. They don't want it for them. We'll be right back. Some people do think things have changed. Uh, When you say nothing has changed, now there are solid five conservative members on the court. Something has changed. Yeah, I just, again, to to my mind, it hasn't. The, the, The wonder of the rule of law in this country is its consistency over time and is Troublesome as sometimes our times may seem, and as difficult as they may appear to us, this country has been through a lot of challenges and always risen resiliently to them, whether it's the civil rights movement, surviving through our civil war, or today's challenges. Whatever they may be, I've got great confidence in America. And I say to those who don't, look elsewhere. Where else would you rather be? Amen to that. That was Supreme Court Justice... Neil Gorsuch, who's telling this woman, look, just take a chill pill. Calm down. All right. Trump isn't a Hitler. The country isn't falling into fascism. Uh, the rule of law hasn't been destroyed. The institutions of government haven't evaporated overnight. You know, all, all this stuff out there. People really do need to just calm down. You know, I will tell you that the, the one experience that I have that uh, you know is always a reminder of how amazing this country is, is you go somewhere else, and I'm not talking about your family trip to Paris where you're like, oh, mon ami, I wish I could have stayed for many more weeks. The baguettes, the brie, it was fantastic. No, I'm not talking about that. Although that sounds great right about now. I mean, when you go to a country that is not uh, anywhere near what you're used to in the developed world, and you come back to America, and you realize this place is incredible, all right? This place, it actually functions as a country. I'm not saying, you know, I talk about all the deficiencies all day long. As a country, it functions incredibly well. We are overwhelmingly uh, decent to each other, law-abiding. You know, I ride the subway pretty much every day here in New York City, and I'm looking around this thing, and yeah, I've seen some guys relieve themselves, you know, in front of a, you know, uh, it's bad. I mean, I've seen some stuff happen there. But overwhelmingly, it's one of my favorite words to use right now. 
uh, you know, everyone on the subway is going about their business, being respectful to each other, and we're all on this in this metal tube hurtling, you know, 40 or 50 miles an hour and assuming it's all going to be okay, and it usually is. You know, we do very well in this country as a polity. And I, you know, I, I know that I talk about the problems here and on a lot of different shows, you know, it's always, you know, the country's going to hell. We're all going to die. You know, this people, a, a lot of shows and I don't have enough time to listen to them, but there are, there are other shows out there where the, the usual bit is just everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And when you want to show people how passionate you are, start yelling. I try to use my words to show you passion. I, I try to express beliefs that show passion instead of i'm just gonna yell and i think that they're destroying this country I don't, you know i mean i could do that but i think that the histrionics are nonsense and i would just also say that uh we do need some uh, well it's really the libs that need perspective because the trump era has broken them uh, i do not speak to I, I can't even think of a trump supporter i've spoken to recently who really thinks that the country is in terrible shape and, uh, and what's happening here? And, you know, what are we going to do? And I've, I've never, I haven't spoken to one in recent memory. There are long-term structural challenges, to be sure. But what Gorsuch says about how we've been through a lot and we're going to be okay is the odds are, are absolutely with that. So I'm here to tell you as we're getting into the third hour of the show, you know, take stock for a moment of the fact that this country is incredible. I know I said this when I came back from China which was really uh, culturally the most disconnected I had ever felt from any place ever, including two war zones. I, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, I felt like I was less in a in a different world in many ways than I did in, in Beijing. You just feel so locked down and so separate. And anyway, uh, this place is pretty incredible. And his point about look elsewhere, yeah, where else would you really, even France? You don't want to live in France. You want to visit France. You want to, you know, eat their baguettes, buy a crappy painting by the Seine, put on a beret, practice your uh, je m'appelle Jacques and come home, you know? You know, you want to go to Ireland, drive around, it's all pretty and stuff. You realize the food's kind of meh and you want to come home, you know? Uh, you know, wherever it is you're visiting. You go to the beach somewhere, you're like, "All right, this is fine, but not a lot happening there after a week or two. There's only so many margaritas you can drink and so many sunburns you can have before you realize you're like, "You know what?" There's more important things out there. This is where you want to be, folks. As Americans, you know that. As people that listen to this show, you certainly know that. But I, I really do wish that the half of the country that believes that it's falling apart would just get a grip. This is one of these silly stories that I got to tell you, I, I think might have a uh, might, might change a little bit of my future. This is in the Daily Mail. Uh, new technology aims to fix your posture by blurring the screen every time you slouch. Fix Posture uses a machine learning program to create a baseline of where a user's body parts are when assuming a good posture. Users look into a camera and the screen goes blurry when their posture is bad. The service is offered on a website which users can return to to check they are seated correctly at their workspace. Bad posture from people I know who know these things, it leads to all kinds of problems, believe it or not. Back problems, neck problems, lots of pain. We tend to think of the way that we go about our day-to-day -day lives as the way that it has always been. And we think we, we can really think back as human beings 
uh, realistically, uh, uh, I'd say two or three generations. And so we think, okay, people have had jobs that involve, right? If you have a job, now some of you, this is not the way you do things, but if you have a job job, usually it involves sitting at a desk of some kind. There's some sitting, you know, maybe you sit when you drive or maybe you sit, but you're sitting down. And we've gotten, as a species, human beings, we've gotten used to this always being uh, on our butts when really that's a that's a relatively uh, newish phenomenon. You know, people people weren't all sitting around at desks for many, many hours a day. I mean, unless you were a monk in the Middle Ages transcribing things from ancient Greek into Latin or the you know, old English vernacular or whatever. I don't know whatever they were transcribing it into. Uh, you know, chances are you weren't sitting around all day. You were uh, using a, a farming implement, a scythe, perhaps, or or a hoe. It's really all I know about from farming. If uh, if producer Mark wants to jump in, jump in here with some of his farming knowledge, it, they use tractors. No, not I'm talking about back in the day, Middle Ages, man. I know what a tractor is. Oh, not I how no much idea. of it? Not that much of a city kid. I've seen the things. I know about You've that. gone to an apple orchard? Yeah, exactly. Like, like all the other yuppie preppies. I've gone out apple picking in the fall. You know, I've seen the, the farmers. But, you know, they don't all wear overalls. And I'm always like, what's up with that? Because if you're a farmer, I feel like you're allowed to wear overalls all the time. That's exp- like, it looks cool, right? If I, wear, if I wear overalls, I'm a wannabe Brooklyn hipster slash a wannabe Brooklyn hipster who really wishes that he was cool like somebody who actually has to wear overalls for their real job. And you just look completely out of place in Manhattan. That's exactly true. That's well, I, I feel that way all the time, regardless. All right, look, it, you know, posture is important. Sedentary lives are very bad for you. I read all this stuff about how y- you you should. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm. I think I might try to become a standing desk person. In fact, we should probably get a standing desk sponsor for the show because maybe I should start doing the radio show standing up. I've thought about that too. Do you know? Any, I think someone do, does. Uh, Elvis Duran do that. Someone does that. There's someone who does standing, I mean, Ryan Seacrest, but that guy probably has a, he probably has like a 12 pack, like, you know. I've I, seen people stand. You know, but not. Seacrest is in, is in impeccable physical condition, so I'm sure he can, you know, I, part of the joy of being a radio host, you could come in all schlubby, oversized t-shirt, wearing sweatpants, although I guess that has to stop now that we're going to be streaming some of the show. I mean, I think only your waist up will be seen. That's a good point. I could be sitting there. I could be sitting there wearing board shorts. Nobody will know the difference. And flip flops. Here's my rule about flip flops, folks. They are fine in th- exactly three circumstances: walking to a pool and back, the beach and back, and when you are in a public use restroom shower and don't want to risk getting any creepy crawlies on your feet. Which can happen. Although I guess they're not really crawlies. They're just it's really fungus that you're concerned. I know it's gross. I hope you're not eating right now. But that's that's the those are the only times I think flip flops are allowable. Unless you're in a third world country and like that's what everyone's wearing. But even then, you know, wear, wear sneakers. Wear sneakers and speak American. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I've got for you. those are my tips for the day. Maybe think about a standing desk. Don't slouch. Slouching causes uh, for me cause neck pain, which I've I've had to deal with. And uh, lifestyle tips for the Buck Sexton show. That's something that we're going to have to work into things. Maybe when we get a video, I'll be able to do some, some stretches or some calisthenics. All right, Bruce and Mark is saying roll call. All right, all right, it's roll call. It's roll call.
like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That's how you set the roll call. We're going to start asking Producer Mark every day. Producer Mark, where's our new email address? I have to send an email about it. Okay. I just want everyone listening to know that I keep asking. I do keep asking. I, I don't know. I want it to be an actual official email address. We could set up like buck 5297 or at hotmail.com, but that's not, you know, we want something with a little more oomph. It'll be a real one. You, there'll be a link on the website eventually. Exactly. We're, we're going to enter, we're going to enter like the year circa 2002 with our tech up here in the hut. That's how we roll. All right. So good, good to know. And, you know, some of, some of the unofficial official team buck representatives have been asking about this and it will happen. Uh, the the podcast just so you know is definitely moving up and that's happening i think i told you this on september 23rd we're gonna start wow that's soon we're gonna start having early stuff going on with the podcast which is exciting um means you'll be able to listen bruce and mark when do you think we'll legitimately be able to have that thing up 3 p.m or sooner i think sooner a little, but definitely an NLT, no later than three. Yes. All righty. There you go. I have to get you working quicker. Um, that's true. But I also want everyone to know your name and email so that when that podcast is late, they know who to bother. Well, they'll have an official email address. It'll go to both of us. That's a fair point. So Mark starts off our uh, roll call here with the following. Hey, Buck, I love your show. I listen to it all the time. Cleaning stalls, milking cows. Marrr. Chopping wood, chop, chop, etc. One thing I just realized was that if the Green New Deal becomes law, where will all the manufacturing companies go? Oh, yeah, to China, Mexico, or any other country that doesn't have crazy climate laws. Millions of people will lose their jobs. It will be the ruination of our country. Keep up the good work. Mark McColfer, Team Whoa Whoa, Team Buck. Hey, man, first of all, thank you for listening out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Big high five and a, and a heads up to my friends in Wowo land. Um, and as for your point about the competitive disadvantage of embracing the psychosis of the Green New Deal, yeah, you're right, dude. It would be very, very bad because when people say things like, oh, we're going to have a carbon tax, that's a tax that will spread throughout not just a specific industry, but the entire economy. And then you'll be trying to compete with other countries because we live in a globalized economy now and you'll have these artificial constraints put in place. And it is not possible to tax your way, as we know, to prosperity. Taxation is good for what you want less of to happen. And if you want less economic activity, do a lot of taxes under the Green New Deal rubric and see where that gets you. Scott, Buck, do you still do podcasts? I followed you for several years. You kind of disappeared. Love your talk uh, on those shows. Hungry for more, and others are as well. I'm in Amherst area, Massachusetts. Scott, yes. The answer is there will be a history, a series. We're going to, I think what's going to happen is we're going to go back and we're going to uh, finish up. I think we've done three or four episodes of Shields High. We're going to do a full 10 series arc. We're going to kind of re-release the you know early ones or rather tell people to go back and listen to those. 
and we're going to start doing great battles, po- uh, a great battles podcast, 10, 10 a year uh, for the next couple of years, at least. That's the plan. I just spoke with uh, the folks at iHeart that do all the podcast magic. So that is going to happen. I've also got a book I've got to do. I've got a, a bajillion Fox hits I've got to do. I've got this wonderful three hour show. Also got to start streaming it live on whatever that's called. Uh, Pluto. Thank you. And uh, that's the app that I'll want you to. Oh, I think we're just I think you're finding out early. OK, whatever. We can let them know. Is that all right? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be on the Pluto app. So there you go. You'll be seeing it on Pluto. Exciting things. It's amazing, actually. It's a really slick, uh, slick visual uh, video app. So there you have it. Next in this piece, we've got... uh, So yes, the podcasts are going to be happening. It is going to happen. The book is going to happen. I also have to get married and and sort of family. (laughs) So there's a lot of things. Producer Mark has beat me down the aisle. I don't even know how old he is. 26. Are you serious? Yeah. You're wise for 26. Am I? Yeah. 26. Yeah, that's the right age. 37, man. Starting to... The the joints are starting to hurt, you know? I, I start taking naps in the middle of the day, even when I haven't been out late the night before. Oh, I'm 26 going on 85, so well, I well, get I'm it. just saying, get it, get it, get it done early. You got to start making some, some mini marks ASAP. We'll wait on that. That's what you say. We got to see what the missus says. All right, Brandon. Great show, brother. Shields high. On failed Mayor Pete, this person other than grunt like to use twisted scripture uh, that is taking scripture and twisting it to fit in with whatever sin he's trying to justify the bible most defiantly states that life begins or most definitely states that life begins at conception god reveals to us in his word that not only does life begin at conception but he knows who we are even before then king david said this about god's role in our conception For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Every one of us has a purpose and is loved by God. Thank you for holding the line, brother. Airborne all the way. Brandon, thank you for holding the line and for writing in for your your support of the show, your eloquence, and your service to country. Michelle. Yes, drop your cable. Verizon Fios is the worst. Definitely like a trip to the Soviet Union. Call and talk to the streaming companies. Tell them which channels you want. They will set you up with what you need. We use Spectrum. We pay $29 a month. We already had internet through them. We chose 10 channels on top of their basic package. We have everything we watch uh, a great deal. And Michelle, I think that is probably going to be a smarter plan for me going forward. I, I just, I don't watch live sports enough. I will watch it, but I just, I don't watch enough to justify that part of a cable package. So if I could get Fox News for watching and CNN for ridiculing and then maybe some other direct subscription channels, I, I like HBO, um, you know, I'm, I don't really, other than that, I mostly do Netflix and Hulu as it is. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's probably a better idea. And I need to force myself to watch more digital content because I'm going to be a digital content creator soon. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see what we have here. Um uh, John writes, stop being a bleep, Buck. Stop qualifying Trump with I don't disagree with or any of your other failed face-saving snowflake equivocations every time you mention Trump. He's our guy. Uh, the left never equivocates or makes excu- excuses. Remember the new rules. Uh, 
uh, here we go. Man up, support the team with enthusiasm. MAGA, shields high. Hey, John, come on, man. I'm allowed to tell you I disagree with Trump holding a meeting that he himself canceled. Or I should say, I'm not allowed. I'm going to tell you sometimes when I disagree with something Trump did. It would be weird if I never agreed, or rather if I always agreed with everything Trump did. That would be strange. He's a great guy. Exactly. Exactly. I, I forget, you know, that's at the top of the show. I forget who Trump actually said that about. We just sort of play around with that one. Um, I forget who it was. It was some senator or congressman or something. I thought something. it was you. No, no. Definitely not. I wish. That would be fun, though. Van! Let's see. Uh, hey, Buck, why are the leftist candidates espousing complete elimination of fossil fuels by 2045 when everybody knows the world is going to end in 11 years um hmm that's that's a good point what happens in 11 years when the world ends and we haven't done the things that they tell us we have to do to prevent the world from ending i i think that's a that's a very worthwhile uh question to ask i think that's definitely something to think about uh let's see here david right Ooh, this is long Hey, Buck, you're spot on with education. We are constantly told in our local media we need more money. In the case of Richmond, test scores get worse and worse with more money being haphazardly thrown at it. And if you oppose food or restaurant taxes, you're the devil. They use it as a political tool. That's why people move out of the city after they have kids, but the country's schools are much better. Um, That's why I decided to send our boys to private school. There's accountability there. My wife and I have to make sure they are performing. They aren't. There's a long list of people trying to get their boys into the school, and I talk about that frequently. Even with financial aid, I spend about $20,000 a year in tuition for lower and middle school. It's worth every penny. Keep up the great work, Buck. You have the best conservative podcast. It's exciting to see your audience expanding. Take care, David. P.S. Check out The Spy. It's fantastic. David, thank you so much for your very kind uh, note. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that education is an area where conservatives are right and we should start to win the argument more than we do i think that we cede far too much ground Uh, i think we cede far too much ground when it comes to um the education debate when we shouldn't cede any uh, because public education in this country has been uh, centrally directed and uh, consistently underperformed particularly for people that need the most help from the state to begin with So that's what I've got for you today, team. Last couple of weeks before we uh, start streaming the show on video and also start putting out the podcast at 3 Eastern. We're going to say 3 Eastern. It might be 2.30 Eastern, but it's going to be in time for your daily commute. So please, please, now is the time to... You can keep listening on, of course, your local station, wherever you are across the country, but subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show on iTunes or on the iHeart app. And that way, anytime you want, you can listen to the show and you can listen to it uh, earlier on in the day if that fits better with your schedule. We're going to have another amazing show tomorrow. We've got the Democrat debate on Thursday. This week is going to be lit. I'll talk to you in a day or so. Shields high.